Hey everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. Today we have a great episode lined up for you today. We're sitting down with Greg Carrasso, host of The Greg Carrasso Show, only on TSN 1050. Before we get started, don't forget to like and subscribe to our podcast and YouTube channel. If you're looking for all the greatest new episodes, breakdowns, plus a lot of free content, go ahead and subscribe. You're not going to want to miss this. Now I got a question to ask you. Do you ever shave your balls and it ends up being as bloody as a Nate Diaz fight? Well, the good news is today's episode is sponsored by the official electric trimmer of the UFC Manscaped, and they just released their fourth generation performance package. Fellas, now you can get your black belt in ball trimming and join 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to themanscaped.com and use the code CHPODCAST and you're going to get 20% off. That's right, 20% off. The performance packages here completely upgrade your male hygiene routine. Inside, you'll find the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, the Weed Racker ear and nose trimmer, the Crop Preserver ball deodorant, Crop Reviver toner, and plus two free gifts from Manscaped, the Performance Boxer Briefs, and the Shed Travel Bag. You can't go wrong, and it's free shipping. Then one thing you want to make sure to, if you're trying to make yourself look good, you never want to end up in a bloody mess. So that fourth generation trimmer is going to feature a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents and thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. So like I said, get 20% off free shipping with the code CHPODCAST at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code CHPODCAST manscaped.com. Time to knock out your pubes with Manscaped, your balls, and your sparring partners are they are going to thank you. Lastly, we are sponsored by Spirit Leaf Waterdown, located at 64 Hamilton Street North in Waterdown, Ontario. If you're looking for Canada's top cannabis brand, look no further than Alex and his crew, and they're going to be able to help you out with all your THC and TBD products. So, if cannabis is your thing, you got no better place to go. Just head on over to Spirit Leaf Waterdown, tell them that you watched the podcast, they're going to set you up for a discount, and you can't lose, you're going to meet a great staff and get more knowledgeable in all your product needs. Thanks everybody for watching and enjoy the show. Doing the amazing podcast, and now he's thinking we're a bunch of fucking amateurs. Oh my god! <laughs> Who are these rookies, Aaron? What are you doing over there? Stuck in your no, library? No. I am in my library, and here we are. But everybody, thank you again for joining us here on the Choking Hazard Podcast. We have a great episode with you today. We have the great one and only Greg Carrasso of the Carrasso Show from 1050. Uh, sorry, uh, 1050. The fan. Yes, there we go. Yes, and 1050. Fan, whatever. Thanks, buddy, so much for joining us on the podcast today. How are things going? You know, I, I'm actually super excited about this. I um, Normally, I'm the one that's doing the interviewing. So when the uh, when the message popped up on my DM, uh, it was not a uh, booty shot. Uh, it was just actually <laughs> someone that wanted to actually talk to me. So this is new. <laughs> But that uh, no, is uh, thank, thank you so much for the invite, man. I really appreciate it. No, absolutely. Because I think like it's kind of funny because like I've listened to your show like for years, and like, okay, like, I can't honestly say I've been like a huge like I've heard you for twelve years or the entire time. But obviously, I tune into you every Saturday morning when I happen to be driving. And the funny thing was, like we started training together at Evo, and I'm like, oh, this is a great guy, Greg. I had no idea it was you. <laughs> and that was the funny thing. And it's like, this I've, I've talked to you about your motorcycle. I've talked to you about your cars. And we've had conversations. But I, I never put it together that, that you were the Greg Carrasso of the Carrasso show. <laughs> it was like, this whole time. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting because um, uh, I'm a very private person. And uh, the show, and, you know, believe it or not, the, the radio show, but the TV show was what made it really awkward sometimes. Uh, you know, you're walking downtown Oakville and people just stopping you and wanting to take pictures. And I'm thinking, oh my God, what's happening here? It's just weird. I'm not worthy of this. So I, I value that privacy. And, uh, you know, sometimes just people pick it up. I mean, they hear my voice and say, ah, are you Greg? And uh, a bunch of people have come up from the club now. And, uh, but you know, it, it's, it's super flattering. And um, uh, I'm super excited to be uh, training with you guys. Is uh, The club is super cool. So Aaron, Aaron, unfortunately, was one of those people who did not recognize your uh 
your sweet, sexy voice on the on the beaches <laughs> on the beaches of the Bahamas where you're uh, filming this live for those who are uh, watching this right now. He's too busy YouTube. trying to choke me. That's that's a problem. Hey man, I gotta protect myself. That's it. <laughs> so, like, how did the whole evolution of like you know TV, radio, and then obviously radio, and then because like. You, you hear the evolution of obviously like podcasts and all these other different formats that are happening, but like you've had a show that's been going on for almost 12 to 13 years now, and you've been able to stay consistent <laughs> with it. Like, how did you like first kind of start into that radio business, but how have you been able to keep it still going? And as you were kind of saying, it was like, you're the only non-sports um, show on TSN 1050, which is amazing. Well, I... You know, a, a lot of it was just circumstantial. Um, I started, like I was mentioning to you guys before the break, um, when I finished working with the Canadian Army in the early 90s, I could barely speak English. And um, I started to sell cars at 401 Dixon East, and this was a long time ago. And um, I did really well in sales. And then, you know, one thing led to another, and I got into management. Um, and uh, one, I was doing advertising on AM640 at the time. Uh, this was before Global bought the entire thing. And uh, they needed a car person to give some opinions on something that was happening in the car industry. I don't remember. It was a long time ago. And uh, so I, I acted as a guest. I went there for a guest interview, you know, 10, 15 minutes or so. And ended up turning into one hour. And uh, they thought it was funny. I mean, that's what it came down to. They thought it was funny. And um, they asked me to to come back. So I started to go back at 640. Um, and believe it or not, it was, I don't know if the name Mike Stafford rings a bell, but Mike Stafford is a bit of a legend in, this, in the city. And, uh, you know, at one point he was a pretty good friend of mine and it wasn't his show that I went. Um, but then I started to get phone calls and they wanted me to do this on a regular basis. So what started as a one hour a month, it was an expert hour and it, it all started as an automotive show. Um, then, you know, I did something different because we were taking phone calls and, you know, everyone has got a car in their lives. You, you know, you, you drive a car, you've seen a car, there's a car in your driveway, you see them in the highway. So there's always something to talk about when it comes to cars, but I'm not much of a car person. So I was trying to essentially give people advice that made sense because I'm not a car person like, eh, I don't care. But I was trying to teach people how not to waste money. And that kind of resonated. So it went from an hour a week um, I mean, an hour a month to an hour a week to two hours a week, then to three hours a week. And now is we are on every single week, three hours, Saturday mornings on TSN 1050 um, from 8 to 11. But, um, you know, you know, media has changed everything, right? Mm -hmm. um, I was a very early adopter of social media. And I remember, you know, getting my Twitter account verified back in 2011. You know, Twitter is not even a thing anymore, but... I stopped tweeting like seven years ago. Um, <laughs> no, I'm not joking, man. I don't use it. I, I don't use it. I, I, th I think Aaron's still using it right now to uh, uh, to, only to bash control. certain people, but that's it. Only, <laughs> only, only to troll certain individuals who uh, have very large teeth that try to chew through truth events. You know, right, Aaron? Yeah. <laughs> when um, I became pretty good friends with Dean Blundell on, on 102.1 The Edge, and we started to build that Twitter account. Mm -hmm. uh, and because everything was transitioning into the digital world, uh, I think that that was a natural progression of what I was doing. So slowly but surely, I opened up a YouTube account, um, you know, started to tweet, and uh, it just exploded. I mean, at, it was back in 2011 or 2012 or so that it achieved critical mass. And then it went from an unknown thing to, I don't know, 70 or 80,000 followers on the Twitter account. Now it's almost 100,000 people on Instagram or something crazy, and um, the um, the podcast, believe it or not, is um, is is one of the most downloaded digital uh, properties that we have in TSN across the country. Um, wow. And uh, the show has evolved. I mean, uh, like I said to you, you know, a couple of times now, I'm not much of a car person. Um, my my passions are other things like philosophy and literature, and especially politics. So this is like right in my my alleyway. What's happening in the country right now? Mm. So it seems like you know my me gliding through my life, you know, trying to figure shit out has resonated with a lot of people. And, uh, you know, I, there was, there was a group of people that listened to the show and I called them slacker nation and uh, they wear the t-shirts. I'm not joking, man. This is <laughs> <messed up. laughs> 
when I tell my mom about this, she doesn't believe me. She lives in Chile, right? So she's yeah. like, yeah, shut up. Yeah, right. She's <laughs> like, sure, sure, Greg. You think you're popular. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have 100,000 people on uh, Instagram. I'm kind of a big deal, Mom. Yeah. <laughs> but it's Instagram, she says, right? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I, that's, that's what's been the progression. And, and I think that, uh, you know, by and large, the, the fact that, you know, I'm, I'm quite open about my life. I mean, uh, on Saturday mornings, it's a bit of a three-hour soliloquy on what's going on in my week. And... Um, I think that that has been resonating with people for a few years now. Uh, you know, as guys, um, we, we have a tremendous amount of social pressure for you to, to know shit. You need, you're supposed to know things and be tough and have all the answers. And fuck, man, I don't. You know, every day I'm just terrified. Like, what the hell is it? What, what am I going to find today out in the world? And, uh, you know, I try to bring that to, to the audience on Saturdays and, and, and I take phone calls and, you know, I don't turn anybody. The crazier, the better. So <laughs> there's uh, it's been a lot of crazy over the years, man. A lot of crazies. But... Yeah. So, like, so like obviously you were kind of saying, like, you've, you've been able to keep this show going. And, like, like, what have you kind of, like, what do you feel like the progression is, like, moving forward, whether it being through radio or do you feel it's, like, more of that podcast? Or do you think, like, things like radio are never really going to go away because I've always started to hear more advertisements, especially going through radio, especially because you people do a lot more driving. And then mm -hmm. obviously podcasts is some, one of those things that people don't want to listen to the radio anymore. They kind of switch into the podcast world instead. So do you feel it's kind of like radio is going to always be there or is it just kind of like morph into something different? I think, I think Aaron's trying to ask is radio dead? And no, podcast. I don't think it is because I enjoy radio. I don't think so either. No, I don't. I don't think it is. So long as cars come with radio, and so long as people don't want to pay for things, uh, radio is always going to be a thing. And uh, you know, in all fairness, I mean, radio is a very few last captive audiences that you have. Like you can't fast forward commercials. So if you like the content that is being provided for you by you know the DJ or the talk show host in the morning, uh, you're going to stay there and just as the price you pay to listen to these people. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think it ultimately comes down to this. Uh, for a very long time, I, I, I'm not a broadcaster, right? I'm just, you know, I'm just, just a regular, guy. Yeah. I'm just a regular dude that, you know, did well in an industry. And, uh, you know, success or fame was never something that I pursued, per se. I never wanted to have this big platform. I just wanted to become really good at something. And, um, I mean, there is certainly no pun intended in this when I tell you that, you know, cars have been the vehicle that I've used just to communicate ideas. And uh, I think that the progression has to happen with only one caveat. Uh, content is king. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter where you are. If your, your content is compelling, if it's funny shit, if it's interesting, if, if it's thought provoking, if it's crazy, it doesn't matter. If you're really good at something, people will find you. And, uh, you know, what I have found is that the more I try to find notoriety, the less not notoriety I found. So I think that everything started to grow for me when I stopped giving a fuck. You can say that. Yeah, you can say whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, I said it. <laughs> you, can, you can say whatever the fuck you want on here. <laughs> you know, I, I think that things really changed for me when I stopped caring. I like, you know, if I have an opinion, just say it. You know, there are some people that are going to be upset about it, but you will be surprised how many people share what you say aggressively. And those are the ones that become your base. And once your base grows, they talk to people and those people will talk to people. And I know it's, it's a long and, 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 and arduous process, but I can tell you, you, you cannot fake hard work because you know a lot of people just want to explode all at once it doesn't happen that way man you know what you see today is overnight success that took almost 30 years to make you know yeah. and i'm not saying it's going to take you 30 years because you know you guys are you know good looking and interesting and something that i'm not I, my are face you is are you talking to me i know you're definitely not <laughs> talking to aaron he's not talking about me either <laughs> but uh, you know i think that you know as as you know trite and trivial and maybe basic as this may sound, um, 
if you can dig in and just found that inner you, just let it fucking come out, man. Let it come out. Let it rip. Who cares? And I think that more people that understand that you are being real, you know, there's a lot of fake talking heads and there's a lot of fake voices in the morning that are paid to be funny. No, man, I'm not paid to be funny. I'm not paid to be anything. And the only thing that I can be really good at is me. So if this is the product, let people have it. And, you know, you'd be surprised how many people are going to eat that shit up because people are starving for some genuine exchange, genuine humanity, especially in you know, social media now. Nobody has a bad day in social media these days. Oh, exactly, right? And it, what you said was like, people are always, you said content is king and like people are always starving for new content, something to get them going or especially a new audience base or, or whatever, right? So it's all about being authentic, but also kind of creating something original as well. Yeah, I, I think originality, if you are yourself in our era and you you can't help but being original yeah you know who oscar wilde says that don't just be yourself everybody everybody else is taken so <laughs> i i think that once that comes through and people latch on to this um i think that success is is inevitable it'll mm-hmm. happen no matter what now as per as per the the way communications are going it's pretty scary what's happening out there now because of how, how fragmented the the systems are you know you have youtube you have tiktok you have instagram twitter you have the podcast system then you know you know you have if you're not in all those platforms people will miss you right so you know i think it's also important to focus because um you know anybody can do anything really but nobody can do everything so it's important to just concentrate your efforts onto one thing that becomes your thing and, um, and, and from that, I think that slowly but surely you can absorb and grow. But I mean, everybody's road to success is so different. Oh, How long have you guys been doing this? We've been doing this for about a little over a year. Uh, a year and a half. Since lockdown number one, we've been, hey, Aaron just called me up one day. Hey, so remember that podcast thing we've always been talking about that we wanted to do one of these days? Yeah, well, we got plenty of time. So why don't we start something? <laughs> You know, I was, listening, I was listening to uh, one of your podcasts last night because, you know, this all happened all of a sudden, right? And um, so I was listening to one of your stuff last night. And, you know, that's some funny shit that you guys talk about, man. I actually, <laughs> you know, I, I started to listen to it. and uh, <laughs> Really? So what, what, So what, which, which part? Which, uh, uh, which, you, uh, you, were talking, you were talking yesterday about, um, you know, the concentration camps that everybody's going to be locked up. And <laughs> <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Hey, listen, don't joke about that, man. It's pretty scary stuff that's going on out there. I will I will put a I will put a feeler out right now, regardless of how uh if we agree on things politically or what's going on. If anybody yeah. gets locked up, you know where to find me. I will be the first person to bust you out. Uh, <laughs> listen, I'm hey, uh, I moved up to the country. I have a full arsenal in my house. So when the zombies <laughs> come, you know, there is all at any given point, there is about, you know, 10, full, full arsenal. I've seen that scotch earlier. That's a full arsenal right there. <laughs> oh, no. yeah. You know, uh, you know, the uh, the affinity for, you know, for, you know, firearms is something that I never lost after the army. So I've kept up my uh, my membership at the local gun club here. You know, I go to uh, Target Sports in Stouffville. They're unbelievable guys. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm fully licensed and, um, you know, I can I can actually bring people and train them how to use uh, weapons you know it's one of those things that just becomes part of your part of your life yeah especially like you know coming from the army and again even like guys that we know who are in law enforcement especially from the club or even yeah. like like these guys have trained they need to keep that training up or they just want to keep that skill going because it's like like anything if you don't do it you lose that skill right and it's yeah. like, it's the skill you want to keep 100 percent. and like i remember when i went to this is years ago i went to vegas and I went to the, the gun store, right? Mm-hmm. Me and my wife go to the gun store, which was an <laughs> awesome experience. It was like 9 a.m. shooting, which was awesome. <laughs> and it was like my wife shooting an AR-15 in a Glock, and I got the M16, <laughs> the and and Sorry, I'm just picturing your wife shooting. Oh, yeah. The pink rifle. AR-15. It was hilarious, right? But, <laughs> you know, like we are doing it for sport, just for fun. But, like, you know, when they're, when those things are done safely – it's it's awesome these are things that people should be have access to and be able to i'm not advocating for everybody to go out and buy an ar-15 right now 
but like, I think you are. Safely, I think you are. It sounds a whole like, lot, whole lot of fun. You can't buy it here, anyways. But like, yeah. but like, to like, do it safely and ha- like have that skill set. Why not? Right? Like, just everybody wants to learn something nowadays, and if that's something you can learn, go for it. Well, I think that a lot of a lot of the fear and the, the fear mongering that happens in the media uh, is, you know, is backed up by ignorance. Um, I can tell you that a lot of this, the accidents that happen with firearms is because of lack of education. Yeah. Like, for example, I train my kids so they know how to use and behave safely around weapons. It's the same thing with my niece. She's only 11 years old. You know, I would much rather them know how to handle. It's like driving a stick. You know, you, you never know when you're going to come across a car that has manual transmission and it's a life skill. So if you know the very basic uh, safety procedures that you need to have whenever you are presented with a firearm, assume that every gun is loaded 100% of the time. If you don't assume that, you're going to get yourself into trouble. So I think that, you know, responsible gun ownership is something that we don't, we don't talk a lot, um, you know, here in Canada. And, and perhaps we should, because, um, you know, immediately people assume that if somebody likes guns, that there's some crazy gun toting Americans. It's like, yeah, yeah, no, man. Uh, you guns, know, freedom, America. Yeah, is different. I mean, you know, it's, yeah. it's a different country, right? But Canadian gun laws are so strict that uh, the first offense is five years in jail. <laughs> five <laughs> years in jail. So, no. So this is something that we take very, very, very seriously up here in Canada. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, like you said, it's responsible gun ownership. Like, that's the key word, right? And, like, that should be an education tool, right? So everybody has, again, it's all about education and building off that. But let me ask you this. How did you get morphed into jiu-jitsu? Like, how did the whole jiu-jitsu transformation happen with yourself? Um. Well, in order for me to tell you how that happened, I'm going to give you, I'm going to have to share a little bit more of my personal story with you that, Perfect. Um, you know, just, you know, stuff. I, I was born, uh, my sister and I were born in, in Chile. Uh, we were born in the ghetto in Santiago and um, uh, we didn't have parents. So we somewhat grew up in the system on the streets and it was dangerous. Um, the, um, when I was getting, I was getting beat up left, right and center. I mean, we lived in gang country and it was scary. Um, I was about nine or so when one of my uh, uncles decided that I should probably take some karate lessons uh, from somebody that he knew. So, you know, it was just typical third world country nonsense. You go to some dude's house that knows a couple of moves here and there. He's watched a couple of Bruce Lee movies and, and they teach you how to use nunchucks that you make out of, you know, cut up broomsticks with, you know, with a, a rope. And um, if you haven't seen my nunchuck skills, I promise you they are something else. They're on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll take a look. <laughs> Black belt nunchuck skills. Check <laughs> it out. <laughs> so I started to take uh, Shotokan um, when I was about nine. And uh, I pursued that for, you know, seven or eight years. And uh, in Chile, it's not like here. Uh, you know, you stay on white belt for like two or three years. Uh, so if in order for you to get from, from white to, you know, to black belt, it's a good 10 to 12 years, even in Chile. This is back in the 70s. Um, but I was always fighting, you know, it was a thing that I did. I'm not a big guy, but I was always scrapping ever since I was in elementary school. And, um, when I first moved to Canada, uh, I was a young, you know, I came to Canada when I wasn't 18 years old yet. I came on my own. I couldn't speak English. Uh, I didn't know anything. I mean, I didn't have any schooling and, um, in the day I would work at a factory and at nighttime I would work as a bouncer in some Spanish nightclubs. So I continued to fight. That's all I did. Um, I joined the karate school in the early 90s, and I competed in Southern Ontario in stand-up uh, semi. It was semi-contact at the time. Okay. Uh, you can make contact, but not full contact. Uh, for that, we would go to Northern New York State. I did that a couple of tournaments, and this is before the UFC. Um, but then, you know, I, I got an office job. So I became a gym rat, but I have always had that fighting thing in me. Um, a few years later, I bought a CrossFit gym. Um, I, I became an, a CrossFit competitor. I competed in, in my age group anyways. And uh, I own a CrossFit gym for, for quite a few years. Um, so in the year 2017, 
um, I didn't want to own it anymore. The gym business is a very interesting business. And I felt that CrossFit was, you know, changing a bit. And uh, I wanted to stay active. And my youngest son uh, was a gamer. I wanted to get him out of the house. Uh, he was a brainiac. And I thought, you know, fuck, I love jujitsu. I love I loved the way it looks. I, I, I love the concept of jujitsu. So I want to try a class. And if I like it, I'm going to bring my son with me. And maybe this is something that we can do together. And um, sure enough, I mean, I, I, I looked up on the web and um, my, my old professor, you know, is still a very good friend of mine. And I, I still go f- uh, to classes from time to time, but I move. So it's not as convenient anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, his name is Marcel Nunes in, yeah. uh, in Burlington. Yeah. The, uh, you know, he's got a direct lineage to the Gracies. So this guy is a savage. And uh, he was um, given lessons out of uh, Radix performance in, um, in Oakville. Uh, my buddy Dan there uh, owns a gym and um, you know phenomenal gym. So I started to take lessons with them, but uh, you know there were only three of us in a purple belt. It was carnage. Aaron, I can't tell you. I, you know, I look at videos of what we used to do when we first started. It was just bones and carcasses colliding with each other. <laughs> I don't know how we made it. You know, <laughs> it's like me and Aaron's like first two years of jujitsu. It's just like. <laughs> it's a, it's a, every class is a train wreck. Oh my God, it was a train wreck. I still remember, you know, when I first started doing jujitsu, I was still pretty strong. And uh, I was rolling with my buddy Derek, and he's, you know, he's a compact, 145 pounds. And he had me on an armbar. And I remember I curled him up and I was kind of donkey Kong him on the ground. And the professor was like, Stop! What are you doing? It's like, wow, what, what did I do? He said, no, man, you can hurt somebody that way. But uh, that's how it's it the streets in Chile. That's how we do it. <laughs> You're having flashbacks to the mean streets of Santiago, Chile. In the moment that happened, right? But uh, you know, I um, you know, my professor is about 160 pounds, and at the time I was I was about 210 pounds, and uh, I had nothing on him. It was mm-hmm. it was one of the biggest exercises of humility. And uh, I was hooked, man, on the spot. I, 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 I said to myself, I want this. I need this in my life. And, um, you know, and, and perhaps uh, this is going to sound maybe, you know, childish to you guys. But when, you know, when you achieve any certain level of mild success on anything, whether it's in business or life in general, and you have people that work for you, it's very difficult to stay humble. And, and whether you have that, you know, ability to be humble or not, you don't think because everybody says, yes, yes, yes. Everybody does what you tell them to do. And I needed to find something that would ground me, that would bring me right down to nothing. You are just a normal person. People can beat the living shit out of you because they don't care who you are. They don't care the title that you have. They don't care where you live. They don't care about anything. On the mat, there are no lies, you know? And um, there was something so cathartic for me uh, doing jujitsu. I could take all my frustrations and aggressions and all my, you know, crazy desperation because I, you know, I don't do subtle very well. Maybe it's the Spaniard thing, who knows? But, (laughs) uh, you know, I, because of where I came from, you know, we never knew where the next meal was coming from. And I've always lived my life ferociously. Like I I need to devour my days because I never know when my time is going to come. And that's the way that you live your life in dangerous areas. I mean, you know, when I was having a sales meeting a little while ago and one of my salespeople were complaining that they were having a tough life and they just, you know, they were venting, right? So I said, I want you to think about this for a second. You know, for the last, I don't know, decade or so, Canada has been chosen to be, if not the, one of the best countries on the planet. And in Canada, Ontario is arguably the best province. And in Ontario, you have Oakville, which is like probably the best city in Ontario. So you are in the best country, in the best province, in the best city on the planet. Like, I mean, we, we won the genetic lottery by being here and you have a problem? Like you have a tough life? Like, come on. I mean, I, I feel that there is so much perspective that lacks and jujitsu just takes all that away from me. Jiu-jitsu take that, you know, that, you know, I have, I, I've always felt this, that I have an asshole trapped inside of me. That I have to keep <laughs> under control. No, seriously, man, I have to keep that under control. And um, 
jujitsu was was the most cathartic thing that I have found in my life. I think that uh, I don't know if I would have been able to make it over the last four or five years if it wasn't for jujitsu being a euphemism for life. Mm-hmm. You know, jujitsu now is the most difficult thing that I do. Before it was a marriage, before it was my job, before it's my relationship with my children. And then that becomes a drag. Like, like I don't want to go to work. That's the toughest thing I do. Not anymore. Now it's jujitsu. So now I can go to jujitsu, get out of there and say, that was the toughest thing that I've done today. And I can embrace the world with a clean set of eyes. And um, I, I, in, in my world, I wish that everybody would try it. Everybody should go and, you know, enroll, you know, once in a while and get turned into a pretzel by a 130 pound purple belt that you don't know how to pin down. But uh, you see, I, the only thing I wish about jujitsu is that I would have found it a little bit younger. I was, I was 46 when I found it. I'm 49 now. And uh, so my journey has been almost four years now. And uh, fuck, man, I wouldn't change this for a bit for anything nothing i would give that up i think that's a big thing with jiu-jitsu is it's it's it checks your ego like you named your ego but it basically checks like hey you know it doesn't matter who you are where you come from if you live in the in the mean streaks of oakville ontario canada or on a beach like you're all the same when you step on the mats you know it it was crony gracie that said once that you know he never made past judgment on someone until he rolled with him because the man can tell you what's inside and um, I do find that I can get to pe- know people better when I roll with them. And, you know, it's, it's such an interesting thing because you see when you, and I know that I'm going to get into stuff that maybe you guys don't talk about here very often. I don't know. Um, but when you suffer from the PTSD of growing up in a dictatorship, because I grew up in, in Chile during the Pinochet years, I mean, people would be killed outside of our houses and we would see it. So when you grow up with, with that sort of unsafe view of the world, and you think that everything out there is unsafe, when you put yourself in a, in a position of not safety on purpose, then those are the people that become your best friends. Because those are the only ones that won't hurt you. They can, but they won't. And you, some of the best friends that I've made over the last few years have come from jujitsu, man. I, honestly, there are so many things that I, can, that I can say to the world you know, in this podcast that um, is invaluable that I learned on the mat with these guys that are trying to kill you five minutes at a time, you know? Yeah, and it's like you said, like it it doesn't allow you time to think about anything else other than that moment, right? Mm -hmm. So that that particular five minutes is you and another individual working towards positioning and control and basically trying to establish one another's will against each other and that's all you can really focus on and if that's the dance and you can't think about your job you can't think about other bullshit throughout the day and it, it really makes you think about okay what are you going to do in this moment only and that's it you, you, there's no time for anything else no you don't the only thing that compares to it in, in a completely different way is riding a motorcycle and i can tell you why because if you are not fully engaged on the experience, if you're not fully engaged on the moment and you become distracted on a motorcycle, you die. Yeah. And in jujitsu, although that's never really, you know, a question, you know, nothing is going to happen to you. You essentially have to say, yes, if I don't tap, you'll kill me or you will break something. Mm -hmm. And you have to be present. And this whole notion of, you know, we, we have been conditioned, guys, to not be here. You know, we are always, you know, when you're a kid, they prepare you to go into JK, to then to SK, then to elementary school. Then you're preparing to go to high school. And then you, in every stage of our lives, we are preparing to be somewhere else. And in the process, we miss the absolute most important thing that we have, which is the, this. You know, when they say that all we have is now? There is no bigger truth that is ever been spoken. And uh, jujitsu allows me to be there, to be present, to understand. And when I have this other person that has an understanding with me, that we are literally going to try to kill each other, but not, but yes, but no. And we need to understand the language. 
And, you know, when you know a few words at the beginning, when you're a white belt and you only know how to say hi, you know, and the other person says hi, and you respond with another move. And then they say, hey, how's it going out? Blah, blah, blah. It's like, oh, my God, I don't know what to answer to that. Man. Jesus. And, you know, that humility aspect of the, of the exchange opens the door to get to know people in such a different way, but also to get to know yourself. Like I, I've learned more about myself through jujitsu than I have learned over all the rest of the years of my life. You know, I know what gets me frustrated. I know what makes me insecure. I know what scares me. And uh, there are so many things that jujitsu teaches you that it's virtually impossible to explain unless you experience it. And I know that you guys do a really good job explaining those things. And I wish that, you know, I was eloquent enough to explain to the world what jujitsu does or has done for me in this case. No, I think you've done like a really good job of that, actually. Like it's it's the the struggle and like learning words and, you know, eventually you're trying to have a conversation with somebody or like if you're ever watching Aaron Roll, I, I don't know what a spazzing toehold translates. I don't into. do it Plus, to <laughs> blue belts and below. I don't do it to blue belts. You don't do it to blue belts and below. No. You, <laughs> usually, usually when Aaron gets frustrated and there's like a conversation going on, he'll just like, yep. he'll just start ripping at my feet. That's usually what oh, happens no. when, when me and me and Aaron start to start training. He gets frustrated. He can't in, in the proverbial uh, BJJ talk. He he gets angry and, and starts ripping at stuff. True do you story. train at Evo? I, I do not train at Evo, but uh, me and me and Aaron are uh, we're, we we've been acquaintances at a, a gym that we do not speak of that we've uh, we've partnered <laughs> and ran a ran a program there. We don't we don't talk about that gym here on this podcast. <laughs> you know, I um I was fortunate enough that until I moved up here, I I had a house that was big enough to have a dojo. So I have um, we have a fight club. So the guys nice. would come to my house every Sunday morning. Every <laughs> Four or five guys, and we go at it for three or four, you know, three, three and a half hours. We crank some tunes, uh, and uh, we just go. You know, at the end of the three hours, there was nothing left of us. But uh, we, um, you know, jujitsu is a funny thing because if you're going for to get in belt, you need to not go to jujitsu because that is a biggest, it's a big source of um, anxiety. In the moment that uh, you get caught up in the progression and the stripes and the belt, you know, especially for business people, Aaron, jujitsu is like the absolute worst, man. Because, you know, business is, it's got KPIs, you know? Yeah, and performance it's, indicators it's, and they're all yes. like, oh, how am I doing? Am I doing good? Am I doing bad? Oh, I didn't get a stripe this month. I don't know if I'm doing well. What, what am I missing? Why, what is that guy getting that I'm not getting? Why is he moving forward? Like, what the fuck? That's like, that's it. I quit. This guy got thrown. I, I think the biggest source of anxiety is gradings. It's just like, oh, this guy worst. got this guy got graded, and I did it. Fuck this. I quit. It's just like throwing the monopoly board at the end. Like, I'm done. It is. Like, and, and, and like, I, like, and not to cut you off or anything. Like no, that, go ahead. It's like yeah. that's really what it is. And I think, like, especially like even for myself, right? I remember like when I was turning like blue belt, like purple belt was the belt I wanted. Like that yep. was like going from that blue belt to purple belt. That was like, okay, I want my purple belt. I work. And then, and then they, there was a point where I thought I was going to move from blue belt to purple belt. And they're like, nope, he's competing. He hasn't won a tournament yet. He needs to win a tournament at blue belt. And then we'll promote him to purple. Right. And I was like, fine. And I fucking work like a dog. And I'm like, I'm going to get, I'm going to beat the shit out of everybody. I'm going to get my, win my tournament. And I'm going to get promoted in the next one. Right. I'm like, okay, cool. Work my ass off finally get to where i think i wait i win my tournament i'm like all right next grading boom purple belt's coming right and there's all these other guys that i trained with at different schools and i'm like i'm like i'm better than you i'm better than you i'm better than you, <laughs> you <right?" laughs> like, like i'm sizing people up right and then it was like okay we've gotten to grading time i'm like aaron stand up I'm like, oh, all right here we fucking go purple belt time stand up and then these other guys all stand, and I'm like, this is my moment, right? I'm like, these other guys stand up. I'm like, motherfuckers. Oh. These guys are getting purple belts. And then I'm standing right there. I'm like, I get my purple belt first. And then they get purple belts. I'm like, this is bullshit. <laughs> I was so mad. I was so mad. And then I was like, that at that point, then I was like, you know what? It doesn't matter. 
because they're still wearing purple belts, and I'm still going to beat the shit out of them. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter. I think to this day, or before Aaron got his uh, official promotion to black belt, I was getting uh, a lot of angry texts from Aaron uh, when people were getting oh. he's like, He's like, this fucking guy, I beat him at blue belt, and then he got his black belt yesterday. I hate this guy. <laughs> Fuck this guy. And then it's like it's like two weeks later, somebody else gets their black belt. It's just like the same text. It's like, Fuck this guy. I beat him at fucking purple belt. I think he sucks. He's black belt. And I'm still a fucking brown belt. This is bullshit. Sure. I'm like, I'm like, like Aaron, listen. I'm like, I'm like, Aaron, at the end of the day, you are where you are right now. I am where I am. <laughs> I'm not a black belt. There's a lot of people that are like, why is Mike not a black belt? I'm like, I don't know. Go talk to my instructors. Until then, I'm just going to get better. I don't care. Maybe I'll sandbag and win a world masters at master seven. There or maybe I'll uh, show your shirt. Maybe I'll, uh, yeah. Did you, did you know, Greg, I competed at worlds? You did? I'm just flexing. Yeah. I, uh, I'm kind of a big deal. I got a adult adult court. I'm a, an adult quarter finalist at purple belt. That's <laughs> awesome. Congratulations. That does, doesn't doesn't mean a damn thing. I don't think I made any money off that. But I digress. I uh, you know I I went down the rabbit hole hard. You know I uh, my first year, honestly, man, I was rolling or I was going to class four times a week. I was taking two let two privates per week. And uh, I was going for it. The um, the first year I did four tournaments, and um, the uh, at the at, at the end of the first year, uh, I was doing really well. I was you know, had two stripes on my on my white belt. Yeah, you know, it's like it's yeah. a big deal, man. It's a big fucking deal when you're when you first start. You know, I, I heard I heard this once that you know jujitsu is one of the only martial arts that a you know high level four stripe white belt can mess you up. And this is not. Yeah, it's true. You know, yep. Absolutely. So I was competing in an in-house tournament and I won my division and then I was competing in absolute. So I, I was competing with brown belts and purple belts. And, uh, you know, by luck, man, by luck, I, I beat one of my good buddies. He's a purple belt. And uh, I had to fight a young guy. Uh, he, he was 25 years old, another purple belt. And uh, on a takedown, I blew my knee. Like I kid you not, my ACL, PCL, PCL. Uh gone like gone everybody oh. was like oh so I, I still want the silver so i i got <laughs> i got the hardware but i fucked up my knee so i thought okay this is my i'm not gonna be able to do this anymore but uh you know i have been very lucky in my life guys because um i have met some really cool people so when uh when my buddy heard that i was that i was injured he put me in contact with Paul Marks. I don't know if you guys know Paul Marks. He's the orthopedic surgeon of the Raptors. So oh, I went yes. to see him. I've heard the name. Yeah. I went to the I name. And uh, out of um, uh, Sunnybrook. And um, he talked to me and he says, are you going to compete again? So I said, fuck yeah. So he said, all right, just because you're going to compete again, I'm going to fix you up. So he did a transplant. He put bone tendon bone transplant from a cadaver. So my entire knee was reconstructed. He sent me home without crutches. I was on the mat three months later. Wow. So the following year, I, I had another five tournaments. I won them all. And um, I, got my, um, I got my blue belt after that. And uh, I have been a blue belt for the last two years or so. But I mean, COVID in between has been yeah. tough. So, you know, I have two stripes on my blue. And, you know, I, I stopped chasing it because yeah. it was enough to drive me crazy, right? So now I just go, I roll. I'm, I'm, I'm still rolling three or four times a week. Um, and I try to get as much mat time as I can. But uh, uh, it's, it's, it's fascinating what happens to you when you stop chasing the belt. And I was driving myself crazy. Like, I can be that asshole. I can be that asshole. I, you know, it's like, it doesn't stop. Yeah, I think you, <laughs> doesn't you, sound stop. Like, you sound like you're turning into Aaron now. <laughs> no, no, that was. I'm not about that life anymore. That guy, that guy's a purple belt. Screw I'm that humbled, guy. I'm humbled now. I'm humbled now. I'm good. I'm good. Now you got your black belt. You can finally shut up about it. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> oh, we, we, Aaron and I have rolled a couple of times. You know, I, you know, I have been humbled by, you know, by Aaron. Greg's uh, a beast, though. Greg's watch, a, watch, Greg, watch, Greg the toll holes. watch the toll holes. Watch the toll Like I said, I won't do that to Greg. But uh, you'll do it to rules me, and standards. Rules and standards on belt on like progression levels. So like purple belt and down, I don't do it. Brown belt and up, fair game. 
<laughs> no, I, listen, I, I always tell everybody, just do whatever you want, man. You know, if it's up to me to tap. You know, it's up to me to tap. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, um, when, I, uh, when I met Tom, you know, the, uh, mm-hmm. our professor at uh, the school, I met him as a client. He reached out to me on Facebook and said, hey, Greg, I, um, I hear that you, you're in the car business, so you need to help me out. So I helped him out and we started to talk. And then he invited me. He is such a genuine, open guy. So just come and hang out. So mm-hmm. I started to, you know, drop by and hang out, and um, I uh, we became friends. So you know that's how it all started with Tom. But uh, the um, it, it's such it, it's such an interesting the dichotomy that you have of styles between schools. You know, oh, yeah. whatever we were training in the other school is the complete opposite of what I do here. So now you know you get you know you can complement. Uh, you know, the techniques that we use from the two sides. So now when I go back to my old school, it's like, hey, where did that come from, you know? Oh, yeah. No, and you know what? Like, and that's the the the, fans, the fascinating thing, especially with, like, schools in Ontario, because, like, if you were to, like, look at, like, like Gringo's Club, or if you were to look at, like, and this is out in the East End, if you were to go Central, like Professor Marco Costa, like Body of Four, or oh. even if you're going to go, like, Dan Maroney at um, Gracie Woodbridge, where Mike is, and then obviously at Evo with Toma and Dave and their dynamics. And then obviously with um, uh, the other uh, Castle BJJ, like yep. the, the, the styles are all over the place, right? So like you're never going to find a school that's going to emulate the same as another one. Obviously, the, the language of jiu-jitsu is still the same, but the styles and how they train are completely different. And, it's, and that's what makes it amazing because like, and that's why we always on this show, we promote individuals going to other schools and trying different people and trying different schools and get, roll with as many people as you can safely. And because that's how you're going to get better. The more people, because again, you fall into patterns of rolling with the same people all the time at your own. You account. become predictable. You become predictable. You know, you know what this person is going to do. You know, if, okay, if I end up on my back, I can rest for a minute and then move to another position. But if you do that at another academy, that person's been trained to not allow that to happen and they're going to be doing X, Y, Z and you're going to have to make decisions faster or whatever, right? So it's always important for people to, to cross train. And, and the, the beautiful thing is having a professor that allows you to go do that. And that's, you know, if that's, thing- that's a bone to pick that I have with jujitsu. And, uh, and I know that this is when I make it to the airways but I don't care. If there was one thing that I could change about jujitsu, it would be how tribal schools are. Mm-hmm. They get so caught up in the actual group that you know this is our school and we need to protect it at all costs. You can't go anywhere else. And everybody gets bent out of shape with this. It's like, whoa, stop. You know, If I'm in a position that I wanna be a member of three different schools, guess what? I'm paying for the membership. You know, I'm going there for a service. I'm going there for the vibe. You know, why, why are you bothered by this? You see, right now, I'm attending three schools. And, and the reason why I do this is because I don't have a choice. So when I'm at the office, I can go to my old school and roll at lunchtime. And then I can go to class at Evo. But where I live up here in Georgina, there is an awesome school that is called Cavallo BJJ up in Keswick. Mm-hmm. Okay. And my buddy, Mark and Andrew, they, they own it up here. And they're so welcoming. So I will go to wherever school I happen to be close you know, closest to at that particular point, but it's mm-hmm. gonna, it's no slide against any other school. But people get so hurt by this. Yeah, and uh, do you find that that happens with a lot of schools out there? It it does uh, it does. And I think honestly, I I saw that a lot more like years ago. I think that culture, I think, is slowly starting to change. I think you're seeing a lot more gyms that are maybe like affiliation free, or you know, I think. There was, when I was like coming up, there was, a, there was a lot of like open mats as well. And then like, I had this conversation with Aaron a lot of times, like there was open mats at like, let's say like Gringo's gym, like in one area. But then mm-hmm. I think as things kind of went along, I think maybe some places maybe got a little more territorial or they wanted to keep things a little more in-house or wanted to keep like their guys, like training with their guys. And these guys over here are only going to train with them, which, you know, like, I think for when it comes to like, Hey, if there's like a big tournament coming, okay, that's one thing. But like, I think when it's just overall development of the overall scene, and I think a lot of people's goals are changing as well. So there's a lot of people going to compete internationally. And I think honestly, the best way of doing it is you need to train with, you know, a variety of different, different people. And most of the time it's people probably outside of like your home school a lot of times. 
But you know, look, I mean, you know, if if the whole part of the journey of jujitsu is just being a student, every school is going to have something different to teach you. Yeah. Like, why wouldn't you want to encourage your students to learn a variety of different things? And, and if they come back to you, that means that it, it means that they were meant to be yours in the first place. Yeah. You know, the only time that we become insecure is when we think that we may lose them. But that's not yeah. a reflection on them; it's a reflection on you. You know. Yes. Oh, I agree yeah. with that. Yeah, you know, no, 100%. And, and then we've, um, like, a, we've talked with, like, other instructors and obviously other owners and, like, and, and they all come to the same whole thing. It's like, if you're, if you run a good program, you run a good student base and whatever, your student will come back to you. If you, it's, it's when you're not providing the service and skill set that you are evolving the, the, the atmosphere, that's when students will leave you. And then again, it's the instructors who say, oh, that, that students are creance or, or whatever, right? So, like, it's important to allow your student. I think the one thing is communication too, though. Like, because let's just say on a grading standpoint, right? Like, who's actually grading this individual? Yeah, I and I can see yeah. that would be a, that, uh, that's where it can get a little. Uh, that's where it gets wacky. a little little hazy. But like at the end of the day, I think it just comes down to communication. If you're talking to you know who is involved, and you're like, hey, you know, I'm gonna go train here when I'm in this area. But like, you know, this is kind of my home base of where I'm training at. And if they've caught, if, you know, as long as that's communicated, I, I don't have an issue with that. I've, there's been examples of like, you know, in me and Aaron's program, we've had people like, you know, I've had, you know, 45 year old grown men, business people that are like, Hey, like, is it okay if I go to this seminar? It's like, you're, you're a 45 year old man. Like me and Aaron are going to tell you like how to live your life. You want to go, you want to go train here, go train, go train. Go learn it and then bring it back. <laughs> like, yeah, teach it to us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you know, don't you think that? I mean, if you if you're a professional from school and you have a student that pops up from time to time, and you see them that they're performing at a higher level than they are representing on their belt, mm-hmm. don't the professors have somewhat of a moral obligation to say, "Ah, you shouldn't be here. You should be somewhere else." Like in, in your grading, or that's not I the mean, way that it's looked at. And remember that I'm new at this, right? Yeah, I mean, like, it, uh, don't get in trouble. Um, so, <laughs> it's like, like I, I you suck. Yes. Leave your chip. <laughs> I would say yes, but I also kind of like look. Let's say the individuals training at let's say two different places. I'm gonna throw it out there, right? But let's say he spends his majority at one club. I would think it'd be kind of on the the person where he's spending the most majority at that time at that club to kind of take the ownership and be like, okay, I'm going to grade this individual and put him higher, but maybe I'll have a con. If I, if I know he's training at another facility, I might as well just do a, like a quick little text. I'm like, Hey, Joe needs to put, we need to put another stripe on Joe's belt. Like, do you want to mm-hmm. do it or do you want me to do it? Right. Like, cause I'm doing it. Or like if the, if one person has more seniority over the other, so let's just say your school you're training with a brown belt, for example, but the other school that where you go to with the majority of the black belt, then I would say the black it's the black belt's responsibility to grade you, not the brown belt. Mm, that's that's interesting. Now you know I'm still learning as I go, uh, but like I said to you before, uh, I I gave up in in in, in chasing, yeah like yeah I gave up chasing the progression. Now I, I'm I just want to enjoy myself when I go to the school, man. And and I ever since I I took that the weight off my shoulders of chasing the next grading is when I started to really enjoy jujitsu in the way that I believe it was meant to be enjoyed because now it doesn't matter, man. I train with beasts no matter where I go. I mean, at, at evil, Jesus Christ, man, there are some beasts in that place. And, uh, you know, the fact that I'm almost 50 and I can still roll with a 25 year old, that's a good thing, man. I don't know how, how old you're I'm 38. Now. Not 25. <laughs> well, I'm 39. Shit, I'm 39. I almost lied. I'm 39 now, so I'm almost yeah. at the 40 range. You're getting up there, man. But you yeah. know, this is one of the only sports that I can still compete with guys that are half my age and still somewhat hold my own. And um, I, I love that, man. And uh, my kids do it with me. Um, you know, COVID that's was important. Yeah, COVID was tough because yeah. it kept a lot of people away. I never stopped. No, and you know what? Like, 
it, it like it was kind of obviously tougher like me and mike because like we had the kids at home and like we got young boys so we can't we only so much we can do with like a five-year-old right and then it was just like I, did you only did do you, so much did you see did you see aaron's systematic bjj fanatics dvd with him like rock bottoming connor for like I did. <laughs> <laughs> that was actually pretty funny i i saw the episodes there you go yeah, but like, like I'll, I'll say one thing. Whereas, like, when you look at like BJJ in general, like especially like progression or like even like talking, like even like when you're rolling with people, and this is one thing that Professor Shaw always told me. Whereas, like, if you can end a match or, or finish your submission, it ending like a joke, because you know how we like talk about like BJJ is like a conversation. Yeah. If you're able to make a submission happen where it happens so naturally and the person laughs because it was so silly that they fell into that submission or they fell into that choke and, or a move just sounded so stupid and they ended up there. Then you've learned jujitsu because you've been able to make it a joke rather than an actual fight. So it's like, if you're able to communicate it that way, it's like, okay, you figured it out. Yeah. That's a, that's a good way of looking at it because you know, when you get tapped, it's emasculated, man. It's like, oh, dude, man, how did I get myself into this? Yeah, how? but it's, it's, it's even better when it's like you laugh about it. Because that's <laughs> like, shit, that actually just happened. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's amazing how quickly it can sneak up on you. And, uh, you know, I, I find that, um, you know, as, as, I, as I get older, I have patience. Something that I didn't have when I was younger. You know, you, you first get into the sport and you go like, eh, eh, eh. And like I said before, you know, the carcasses are, you know, just collapsing onto each other. Now I seem to, you know, whether I'm getting lazy because I'm older now but, or not, but I think that patience is something that I didn't have before. And it's helping me quite a bit on my progression because my game is different, right? Oh, you know, absolutely, right? Just like when I hurt my knee, my whole game changed. Like, you know, before it was just attack from the top and now I'm just in the bottom playing half guard. And uh, I... You know, I, I've always been a stickler about practicing one technique for a very, very, very long time. Like I've been practicing one thing for about a year and a half now to the point that the guys that I'm trying it on are becoming so good at defending it that I have to be so much better to put it on them because they know what's coming. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, um, it's something that I've, I've always done. Even when I was in karate in Chile, they would put us through one technique for like a year, year and a half. You would get tired of it, but then it just becomes second nature. Um, the only downside to that is that you don't learn a lot of stuff, you know. But you get good at that one technique, and that becomes. That and becomes then that can if you technique. can get it on somebody who's not expecting it. Yeah, yeah especially in tournaments. Yeah. Especially, in turn you know, tournaments are such a different thing, and uh, it's it's a lot of young guys uh, and a lot of uh, you know new new practitioners. I feel that they're reluctant to do it, and uh, because they they get you know they get anxious, they get nervous about getting hurt and whatnot, and. Uh, I, I couldn't emphasize enough to everybody that's listening to the podcast here how much you learn at a tournament instead of just going to class. Yeah. You know, it's a whole different experience, man. It's, a, it's addictive. Yeah, it's a completely different experience. So, um, but like when you kind of look at it, like as we kind of start to wrap up today, like what's kind of like the next step for you, whether it being through jiu-jitsu, obviously the show, which has still been so really successful. You know, like, obviously, how are you going to incorporate these daily lessons into your life and moving forward? Do you really want to know, Aaron? I'll tell you. Um, if I, you know, I don't, I don't see myself working for too much longer. Um, and uh, I really want to become proficient enough uh, to partner up with somebody and probably open a jiu-jitsu school someplace. Just to retire doing that. You know, nice. do it all day, every day. And just go on the mats and wipe the mat, um, and uh, and take piano lessons. Yeah, I, I, I love music. So I play the guitar. Um, I um, I've recorded an album already. I know it sounds crazy, <laughs> but uh, it's just for me. So no one will ever hear any of this. This is the unreleased, under, <laughs> unreleased. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I use the guitar to drown out the way that I. The Greg Carrasso <laughs> mixtape tour coming soon. Your <laughs> <laughs> dojo. No, no, no. I, uh, I, I think that I will continue with the show, even if I stop working in a few years. I will continue with the show. Um, you know, working in the car industry, 
um, at Oakville Nissan and Oakville Infinity, not for a while. That was a long yeah, time. There you go, yeah, there you go. We, um, you know, I'm, I'm the VP of operations there for the last few years. And, um, um, you know, every few years I go to new stores that are, you know, struggling and I go in and I restructure and then we put them back, you know, uh, you know, we heal them back into, uh, into profitability. Um, I've been really enjoyed doing that. It's hard, you know, to move and change jobs and change people's lives because doing the restructure, you need to let go of people, hire people, mm -hmm. it's tough. Um, that's my job, but my work is the radio show. I feel that, you know, that's the way that I've been given back to the community for the last 13 years. And, you know, there, there's only one moral compass that I have on the radio show. And that is, if my mom was asking this question, on the show that a caller is asking me right now, what would I tell my mom knowing all that I know? Mm -hmm. And you know, as, as simple as that may sound, you would never steer your mother wrong. And yeah. uh, that has kept me on the right side of the audience for all these years, because you know, sometimes you need to give your mom some tough love. Like, what are you doing? You know, in the car business, man, oh, people, look, in one day, Aaron, I will go through more car transactions than most people go in their lifetime, but they know better. They know better. They will tell me exactly what they need to do because they just know better. And uh, you know, do you find that Mike in jujitsu that people come in and uh, they will tell you what to do even though you're a high ranking, uh, you know, another belt? No, maybe, right? Maybe not so much in jujitsu, but like I think me and Aaron have a lot of uh, experience in the fitness industry, and yeah. and a lot of times people will come in and be like, "Yeah, so like I need to lose weight. I'm just going to do like this, this, and this. I got this." Like I think me and Aaron have heard this a lot of times, and more often than not, you know, a lot of times they they find out maybe sometimes it's a lot harder than than they have anticipated. You know, you just remember this, and, and I'll leave you with, with a couple of thoughts in the car industry because you guys can teach me everything about jujitsu. Um, when it comes to the car business, I, you know, I'm, I'm up there when it comes to knowledge. I, you know, is, I'm a student of the car industry. And uh, everything that you think is the right thing to do is because you've been conditioned to think so. Let me give you an example. If leasing was good for you, manufacturers wouldn't let you do it. Mm -hmm. you'd be amazed as to how many people have fallen into that trap. You know, the only job that the car manufacturer has is like politicians to give you exactly what you need in order for you to come back the sooner, the sooner as possible. You know, the sooner the better. The money's in the turn. So a lot of the things that you've been conditioned to believe about the car industry is only for one reason, to take as much money from you as the industry can take from you. But you shouldn't. You shouldn't do it. You know, you're paying attention there, Aaron. I see you. Yeah, I know. I used to be in the car industry, too. That's why. Aaron's what like, do? so should I lease a car? Not lease a car? So I actually have, like, my schooling is originally from Centennial College for auto mechanics. And I worked, yeah. as, a mecha I worked as a mechanic for, like, five years. Then I worked for... Um, part source like as a commercial sales manager for them for about five years and then i ran a like a small service garage for goodyear look at you six, man. six six seven years so like i've been in the industry for like almost 12 13 years and then i i quit the car industry to go in the fitness industry so i'm like i'm, I'm uh, listening to you talking i'm like i know all this stuff know you know exactly what i'm talking about and you know and people don't you know mike it's amazing how many people they fall for what they've been told by their dad, their uncle, or anybody, you know, uncle, or anybody else, and that they don't listen to people that are trying to help them out. And uh, but I, I think that that's one of the reasons why this show and what I do has lasted for as long as it, as long as it has, because um, I'm not a car person, you know. And uh, when you help somebody genuinely, they'll come back to talk to you. They literally will come back. You know, I have a client that I sold a car 26 years ago. I have sold them over 12 cars for the last two and a half decades. It doesn't matter where I go. They just follow me. They just say, whatever you said is what we'll do because they've never been still wrong. And, uh, you know, it's one of the greatest compliments that I have. But guys, you know, it's been amazing. This has been amazing. I hope that this was an interesting conversation for you guys. Oh, no, we've had a great time. Definitely has been. No, thank you so much for having me. And, uh, you know, I hope that, uh, that this um, uh, has the intended effect.
No, absolutely. No, Greg, this has been a great show. We've had an awesome time speaking to you because we've kind of covered a whole bunch of topics, but it's been yeah. great to have to see your perspective, especially in a totally different industry, but obviously bringing it back to jujitsu, like we talk about all the time and obviously that community based part. But then again, it's like, we talk about being, you know, being honest and really bringing people together in different ways. And that's kind of like the whole purpose of the whole show too. So that was, that's why we wanted you on the show. So it's been a great day. Great time. Yep. It's been awesome. Been, well, been awesome. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm going to be plugging the, pl the podcast on the, uh, on the show. I mean, people can come and find me at uh, Oakville Nissan and Oakville Infinity, or they can listen to, uh, to my show on TSN 1050 on Saturday mornings. And uh, hopefully I can have you guys join the radio show one of these days so you can promote the podcast that, that would be great that'd be awesome we'll that'd just tone awesome. it down for the uh with no swearing on the on the, on the radio <laughs> Let's keep, we'll keep it pg and then we'll go like you know like you know me and aaron have faces for radio anyway so i think we'll fit in just perfect and whenever i feel like swearing i just come i say you know fuck it let's go and see aaron and mike exactly there we, go. we, we have to have you on again sometime soon though thank you guys thank, thank you, you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.